Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. If someone you know opens up to you and tells you that they're bisexual, what is your response? You see, sometimes people make assumptions, and these myths can be damaging. Bisexual people are the B in LGBTQ and make up the largest segment of the community, but they face a lot of myths about their identity, and not everyone thinks about that identity the same way. So, how are people here in our city working to dispel those myths and build bisexual community? Later this hour, we'll meet some folks who are doing just that. But first, it's time for Add Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is WPLN's Cindy Abrams, who is our digital producer this week. Hey, Cindy. Hi, Khalil. And I have to say happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Okay, so the WPLN Digital Digital Squad, they're off for some training this week in my former hometown of Los Angeles. But while they're away, you've been juggling multiple devices and keeping your eye on This Is Nashville's corner of the Internet. So what have listeners been saying? Yeah, so as you know, we just finished our fall fun drive. Yes, and thank you to everyone for that. And we really appreciate everyone being so generous to help us keep the station going. And, you know, we also love to see the comments people send along with their contribution, especially when they mention the show. It's always great when they mention the show. Okay, so do you have any favorites? So it's kind of hard to choose, but I thought this one was pretty interesting. Kent and Barbara gave to the fun drive and said, quote, This is Nashville is a wonderful addition. Congratulations. You all are making our transition from decades on Maui to Nashville more understandable each day. End quote. Okay, hold on just a minute. These folks moved here from Hawaii and they're digging our show. Sounds like it. I, I want to say we've also got some love from Nashville natives as well. That's always really good to hear. This is great. So what else have you heard? Well, we did get some less glowing feedback about our opening segment on Tuesday. Oh, Yes. We talked with AP reporter Margie Mason about the Lone Rock stockade in Tracy City, Tennessee. It was featured on a recent episode of the Revealed podcast that was all about convict leasing. Right. So like you said, Margie is a reporter. We got a message from Camille Westmont, and she is the archaeologist who actually discovered the location of the stockade. She wrote, in part, quote, I have been publishing on the history of Lone Rock for years. I was quite surprised to hear the interview with Margie Mason, a reporter who has been reporting on my work at Lone Rock, where my name and my project were not mentioned once, end quote. Okay, that was clearly an oversight on our part and definitely not intentional. We want to be sure to give Camille proper credit for her work. Absolutely. For starters, here she is on that reveal episode talking about the conditions at Lone Rock. There were convict laborers in Tracy City for 25 years. These stockades had an annual mortality rate of 10%. Every year, 10% of the people who were imprisoned here died. So in 1894, when there are 611 people imprisoned at the Lone Rock Stockade, approximately 60 people died. 
again every year. Yeah. I mean, that's really important history, and we're grateful for to Camille for all the work that she's done on this. Where can people find out more? For sure. So that website is stockadeproject.com. Stockadeproject.com. Got it. All right. What else do you got for us? Well, Jen Alexen responded to our last newsletter last week and said, quote, no moment of nonsense this week. Did you not hear what Bill Lee, Andy Ogles, and Mark Green said this week? There was enough nonsense between the three of them to fill this section of your weekly email for at least a year, end quote. 365 days of nonsense. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for subscribing. We try to keep the nonsense fun, and none of that really sounds like a party. But it's just if it's just a little nonsense you want, we're going to give you some right now, courtesy of our technical director, Michaela Elias. Michaela, what's the word? Hey. So this one goes out to all my fellow non-binary folks. Where does a non-binary miner look for gold? In them their hills. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. I think we have to leave it there. Thanks to our digital producer this week, Cindy Abrams, for this roundup. Anna will be back next week. But until then, y'all know where to find me. You rock, Cindy. Thanks again. Thanks, Cleo. Don't forget to add us and on Twitter at and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It is super easy and quick, and it helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet local folks from the bisexual community who are sharing their stories and working to create spaces of connection. Are you a member of the bisexual community? Where do you find fellowship and connection? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. I think it's fair to say that many of us, most of us, need community. Even if you're an introvert, it helps to have people you trust, to talk to, and to form bonds with. We are human after all. For some people in Nashville, in Nashville's bisexual community, finding spaces to create connection can be difficult. Fortunately, my next guest is working to make it a little bit easier. Emily April Allen is a photographer and the creator of the Nashville by Diaries. Emily, welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. So tell me more about the Nashville by Diaries. Like, what's the goal of the project? So my photography work is really about community and visibility and connection. And I've done other projects that feature different aspects of the Nashville queer community. And I really wanted to do something that touched on bisexuality. Um, but like, um, I feel like a, a feeling that many bisexual folks have is that um, I don't want to take up space. Um, and so I figured, you know, hmm, Bisexual Visibility Week or Bisexual Awareness Week is coming up. So now is the perfect time to kind of take up that space. So um, the Nashville Bi Diaries is an opportunity for people to um, really get in touch with their own personal expansiveness and relationship, relationship to the identity in a creative way. Um, it involves a, a brief photo shoot and a diary entry um, 
that can be pulling from something in the past or something that is uh, created, mostly created recently. Can you give me an example from the project of a story that really resonated with you? Ooh, um, a story that really resonated with me. Well, um, I feel like one I might be, we might be hearing from later. Um, okay. But um, a story that really resonated with me. Um, well, I think that, um, so I, um, I personally am in a straight passing relationship and creating community with other folks who are in that situation as well, um, has been really empowering for me. Um, oftentimes I'm really, uh, looking forward to passing the mic to others when I feel like I, I don't want to take up space. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really important to kind of create that mutual connection in an experience. So I guess recently I met with somebody who is in a similar situation. And uh, when I did a call out for the project, um, they reached out but said, oh, I really, you know, it's always like, oh, I really don't want to take up space, give, give somebody else um, that, um, that opportunity. And it really felt very important to to connect with them and feature them. So I talked with them. They had recently um, come into um, a new living space that was really empowering to them. They just seemed like they were owning their bisexuality. They were feeling really free in their relationship. And you can just see that on their face, on their partner's faces, um, on the children in their home's faces. And it was just a really beautiful experience to share with them all around. And everybody just kind of leaves feeling lighter and freer. You just you mentioned being in a straight passing relationship, mm -hmm. yet you don't want to take up space from others who aren't. Did you ever struggle to find community? Oh, absolutely. Um, I feel like I am still kind of in that process, and that was part of the um, part of the um, inspiration behind the project. Now, of course, I don't want to discount all of the um, many expansive identities within the bisexual umbrella and all the different ways that bisexuality can look, feel, sound. Um, but um, creating community within this aspect has, um, has been really important to me. Um, because oftentimes you being being queer is so important to me, but it, it can be really internal because, you know, when you're out on the street and your partner with your partner, you may not be visibly queer and having that connection with another person, just looking at, at somebody and just feeling that that connection, that camaraderie that like, oh, like I I get you. Um, that's something that I feel like I miss out on when I'm out with my partner. So mm -hmm. to be kind of able to. Um, be with others and be like, oh, I'm, I feel that way too. I'm not alone. Just feeling like you're not alone is a huge aspect. And that queerness is just, it's so individual and it's so personal and it's so much more outside of, um, it's so much more outside of your partner. And I think that goes for, you know, so much more outside of just bisexuality. But for me in particular, it's something that I'm constantly trying to tap into through my photography, uh, through writing, through my connections with friends. Mm-hmm. I'd like to introduce my next guests. Kristen Jones is a speech pathologist who pra practices gender-affirming voice therapy, and Phil Kabuji is the founder of the In Inclusion Tennessee. He's currently working on creating an LGBTQ community center. Thanks to you both for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. Thank Glad you for here. having us. Now, Kristen, I understand that you participated in Nashville by Diaries in the project. What was that experience like for you? It was the single most empowering experience I've had as a bisexual woman. Um, similar to what Emily said, I am in a straight passing marriage. Um, I've been married for 
14, 15 years, I have three small kids, um, felt very disconnected from the LGBTQ LGBTQ community um, being in that straight passing relationship. So um, participating in Emily's Bi Diary Project, it gave me that space to kind of showcase who I am and who I identify as and involve my family in that. Um, it's opened the door to more opportunities to be active in the LGBTQ community and to really feel like I'm confident and proud of who I am. I understand you recently, fairly recently came out to your kids, right? Yeah, about a year ago. Why did you feel it was important to do that? Such a good question. <clears throat> um, both my partner and I, we really value giving our kids autonomy and this space to show us who they are. I only felt like from a personal standpoint, it was right then for me to show my true authentic self to them. I'm asking them to do that, to show us who they are. Um, and then it felt very important to be truthful with who I am and to be open and honest about that. I also want to cultivate a family that's full of kids that are setting out in this world being allies, um, understanding that love and gender is a spectrum and it can look different for everybody. Um, so it was important to me to instill those values in them and be open and honest with who I am. How did they respond to the news? Uh, it was very... Um, very not exciting. They were very chill about it. Uh, no problems. I think I got more confusion from all the adults and my children were just accepting and just full of love from the very beginning. I love so. that. They were like, okay, mom, great. What's for dinner? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Now, Phil, you're working to create a space for everyone in the LGBTQ spectrum, a space that's not centered around nightlife. Right. Tell Absolutely. me, Tell me more about why you took that route. So I, I, when we we did a community uh, visioning project or, or community needs assessment back in 2019 um, through Nashville Pride, and in those conversations, what we learned was that people wanted places to congregate that were safe, that were sober, um, that were not associated with nightlife, to make that connection with uh, with community, um, and also be able to do do it uh, connect with one another outside of a digital platform, and so. What we found was that our community was saying we want a coffee shop. We want a place that we can just be safe mm -hmm. and know that we're fully accepted when we walk through the door. Um, and as part of our work with Inclusion Tennessee, that's just one of our many – one of our five things that we're sort of working on on day one. Um, but all of those things are really important and critical to our uh, – to the infrastructure of our full community. Do you think this new space you're working on – has an opportunity to be more inclusive than older LGBTQ centers, and how come? Well, I think you know, I think we have, we have a lot to learn from our history in mm -hmm. terms of LGBT centers, um, those that have existed in Nashville as well as those that have existed in other parts throughout the South. Primarily, is where I'm trying to get our learnings from. Um, I think that as the community has has evolved as its own, uh, as the LGBTQIA plus community, but then also how there's been acceptance of um, diversity and and uh, just the acceptance of, of general awareness of who we are as as a queer as queer people, uh, we're definitely seeing more um, freedom to be your true authentic self, however you identify, and be able to walk into a space and know that you're fully welcomed. Emily, what's your what's your response to Phil's work to create this LGBTQ community center? Oh my gosh, I was so excited to hear about Inclusion Tennessee. Um, 
I think it's a, a big need in Nashville. And I am personally somebody who doesn't feel as comfortable out in nightlife unless I'm photographing it. Um, and so I think that um, creating spaces that are, are about community and, um, and connection in, in other creative ways is so necessary. Um, I was at one of the one of the meetings recently where they were talking about it, and the response, like, "Oh, coffee shop and um, social hangs and different programming." It was it was you could just feel the energy in the room about how much we needed that here. Kristen, what's your response? Yeah, I'm thrilled. I think just having that dedicated safe space for people to go and feel fully, be able to be fully themselves and welcomed is, I think, essential. And I cannot wait. I think it's going to be phenomenal. Well. Phil, how long before we can expect it? So um, we are hopeful that we will actually have sort of a mini center open in 2023. Um, And as we're looking towards a much more comprehensive campus of facilities um, in the next two to three years from that point. Campus of facilities. I like that. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about Nashville's bisexual community and how they're creating spaces to share stories and build connections. Now, Kristen, you're a part of an LGBTQ parenting group. I I wonder what you've heard from other parents about the need for more places to find community. So actually, so I want to be a part. So there's a great parenting group in East Nashville um, for queer parents that meets up. And I've been meaning to go to a gathering, but haven't yet. Um, But I think it's so vital um, just knowing that that space is there and planning to go to a future meetup with my kids and have that welcoming space where they see love looking differently um, and they see different types of families is so important. And then, you know, that validation of I might be in a straight passing relationship, but I still identify as queer Mm -hmm. um, to be able able to be in that community. And I feel like I think any parent of small of a small child can um, identify where a lot of your time is spent parenting. So I might not be as active or be have as much time to be active um, in the LGBTQ community. So this kind of combines everything for me. Do you have any friends who are in similar positions that can really relate and understand your experience? No. And that's why that's why I'm kind of seeking more of that community. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, participating in Emily's project and the LGBTQ Community Center, I think, will be so vital in these parenting groups to kind of bridging that gap for me. Now, Emily, with that in mind, you know, your project is giving people a space to share their stories and to build connections. What ways are you hoping that those connections will grow to create similar opportunities for others? Oh, wow. Um, I, I think that just... Um, Giving different spaces to share voices um, is is a big part of that. Um, and it just, you know, it's just a domino effect into other opportunities. I mean, I, I'm here sitting with a participant from the project that I met through the project and we're sharing our stories today. Um, I know that um, the, the project right now primarily exists um, in the social media space, hopefully it will have a more tangible physical space in the future. But I think there's something to be said. Um, Phil mentioned the the digital realm and how we connect for that. Um, and I think that that, especially, you know, as we've been in a pandemic, it's been nice to be able to click over to somebody. It's easy to make a connection um, and just develop a, a friendship through there. It's, it's very low stakes at first. And so it really develops the opportunity to create stronger connections. And I've seen people become friends. Um, through projects, collaborate on business endeavors. Um, So I think where we're sitting right now is kind of a a testament to that. Now, you know, Phil, 
I'm going to ask you this question. I've lived in other cities, and Nashville has a, a, a LGBTQ community, but it's not as vibrant or as present as in other places that I've lived. Where would you like to see it be with, with this community center that you're building and projects like Nashville by Diaries? How would you like to see that grow to become more visible and, and more recognizable in our city? I think, you know, the reality is, is that our LGBTQ plus community throughout the throughout Middle Tennessee is really focused around a nightlife component. There's really not much that is community focused, community driven. We do have a vibrant and a beautiful community here. Um, all you need to do is really attend a pride celebration in the middle of June, and you'll see that there's you know seventy thousand people that show up to, to celebrate um, pride and 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 the the queer community. I think that those people are craving other outlets, mm. and they want to go to an art gallery that's featuring, um, you know, beautiful photography. They want to go to a coffee shop. They want to, they, they want to participate in these things, but there's not a place for that to happen. And that's the, sort of the first step from there. I think that once we have, you know, pr program in place, once we have a facility, you're going to start seeing much more vibrant participation and a much more present visibility of LGBTQ plus people throughout the mid-state. Does that lead to a little bit of a stigma? I mean, yes, a lot of people show up in June mm -hmm. for Pride Pride Month. A lot of people show up at places like the Lipstick Lounge and whatnot to have a good time and to party. Yeah. But because it's so focused on nightlife and the activities of that, do you think that that kind of leads a stigma to people who don't maybe not have a lot of knowledge or experience with people in the LGBTQ community? I think that if you walk into if if a member of our a straight member of our community walks into Lipstick Lounge, they kind of have an idea of knowing exactly what they're going to experience when uh, they walk in. I've been in, there, yeah, right? it's and, a great and it's time. a great time, and it's a great time. Mm -hmm. um, and and truthfully, I think that the the owners of these establishments throughout the city, um, if if we have a member a, a, a straight member of the community walking into any of these nightlife places, I think all we ask for is that you treat us treat the community with respect and dignity just like you would anybody else. Um, and so that's, I think, a critical component to to a nightlife experience. Mm -hmm. um, when we get to a space of, of having more programming services, I think that's going to bring people out of the woodwork that may not necessarily have found a place for themselves um, or realize that they truly are part of a really beautiful and vibrant community um, mm -hmm. because they may not necessarily want to go out for a loud night of karaoke and drinking, or they may not want to go to a loud dance party or something that doesn't necessarily make them feel comfortable. So. Yeah. Now, Kristen, can you tell me about how participating in Nashville by Diaries, how that's affected your work? Oh, yeah, it was a huge inspiration. Um, so my work, I was trained in gender affirming voice training um, probably about three or four years ago. Um, didn't really do much with it. I had the training. Um, and then after participating, coming out publicly and participating in Bi Diaries, I feel like Emily's project, it really just gave me that platform that I wanted to use. I really wanted to start using my own voice um, to help give others a voice. And so it inspired me to start my speech pathology private practice. And one of my focuses is in gender affirming voice training for the transgender community, uh, non-binary, gender non-conforming community. So tell me a little bit more about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, one of the services I provide is um, voice modification training. So for somebody transitioning, um, working on changing their pitch, their resonance, their overall language and communication style to be more gender congruent um, for, as we know right now, for safety reasons, for gender congruency, for gender dysphoria, um, voice can be a big component of that transition process. Now, you know, we, we live in a state where the state legislature has taken some moves last year to the anti-trans laws, anti-LGBTQ laws that are in there. You know, how do you feel about that with, you know, attempting to find and build community for yourselves? But we have the state legislature making these moves. How does that really resonate with you, Emily? Um, well, I'll, um, I can only speak from my experience as a cisgender person. I do have a, uh, a trans sibling, so that is very close to my heart and very close trans friends. Um, it's extremely disheartening. Um, I um, am horrified to see everything that's happening right now. My brother feels unsafe at times to come visit. Um, he doesn't know if he'll be safe in a restroom or um, how he'll be regarded out in public. Um, and, um, and close friends of mine, um, are really struggling. And, um, so I think it's really important for people to really listen to the trans voices in their community. Um, and, um, and just uplift those voices. I think it's very important for cisgender people to use their voices very strongly, um, because it's really scary right now, um, and it's not just going to go away. I think a lot of times people think, oh, it'll, it'll go away. Um, it's, it's not going to go away. Um, we, we need to act. Phil, what type of, how can I say, education efforts are needed so that people really understand? Because to me personally, it feels like folks necessarily, they want to other people. That's something that we do in our society as an African-American male. I've been there. Yeah. What type of outreach, education is necessary and needed so all of us can understand that we're one huge community right. with certain pockets? I think education starts in, in, in a number of different places, right? It starts with corporations and, and businesses that are, that are affirming of identity, right? Making sure that your ERGs, your employee resource groups have appropriate trainings and your staff has trainings on how to interact with people that are different. Um, than what what may be you, right? Um, I think that there's steps beyond that, right? Make sure that your faith communities are truly loving one another, mm. right? Uh, and if you don't understand somebody, ask. There's always a plethora of resources out there that are available to you to to learn, right? It is it is truly approaching somebody with a, with a care with care and respect and saying I'd like to learn more about your clear experience tell me more cuz I don't I don't know your lived experience mm -hmm. you don't know mine but we can talk about that in a way that is um, honest uh, tr uh, transparent and caring of one another's experience Kristen I see you nodding your head yeah. <laughs> yeah I just echo all these sentiments holy I just um yeah a big part of it for me is is like what Emily said we can only speak from who we are um and as a cisgender female acknowledging that I have a privilege as a cisgender female in a straight passing relationship um that I may not have had some of the experiences of other members of the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community, but I want to be there and lending my voice and advocating strongly um, against what's happening right now. It's, it's absolutely devastating. 
So Emily, do you see maybe an opportunity for building coalitions? Um, can you expand on that? Opportunity from this conversation that oh. we're having now. Oh, that yes. People okay. who are listening and being out there and maybe people who don't listen, but people who are open minded in the way that Phil was expressing. Oh, I, th I mean, that's being done in Nashville. I mean, people in Nashville are working really, really hard um, to um, to provide support. Um, so, yes, I think that, as, as Phil said, we do have a very strong and vibrant community. We have really wonderful trans activists and leaders in our community. Um who a lot of people may just not know about um, because um, they, you know, they might have thought that this issue doesn't affect them if they're not part of the trans community. And and that's definitely happening. Um, so I, I hope that there are further opportunities in the future. Um, and I think that um, I, I, I think that the opportunities will grow. But yes, it has it is being done. That is Emily April Allen. She's a photographer and the creator of the Nashville by Diaries. She was joined by Kristen Jones, speech pathologist, and Phil Kabucci, founder of Inclusion Tennessee. I really appreciate you all. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with more members of the bisexual community to learn about their experience of being bi in our city and bust some myths while we're at it. Are you bisexual? What do you think people misunderstand about the bisexual community? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. It is our, our experiences in life that form who we are and our worldview. When you're a part of a group that has a lot of myths and misconceptions surrounding it, sometimes it can be difficult to feel seen and understood. My next guests are three people who have worked not only to be seen, but to change the way people outside the bisexual community see them. Aaliyah Daly is a doula doula and works with queer and BIPOC families. Paul Briscoe is a DEI trainer who founded a bi task force at his workplace. And Adrian White is a trans writer who was training to be a pastor. Thanks to you all for joining us today. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you for having Thanks. us. Thank you. Aaliyah, let's start with you. You identify as bi, but I understand you have some complicated feelings about that. I have T some really complicated feelings about that. T tell me about it. <laughs> so, um... I came out when I was 14, and at the time I identified as like a cisgendered female. But as I've grown and developed as the human that I am in this society, um, going through my own gender transition, identifying as non-binary, um, that raised a lot of challenges for me with the label of bisexual because bi equates to two, mm. and society the narrative is pushed that there are two genders and that's it. So as someone who exists outside of that gender binary, that made it really challenging for me to even want to um, lean into that identity of bisexuality. Um, and as I have done my own understanding and shifting around sexuality and relationship structures and experiences, in the world, it's shifted from bi being to to bisexuality can mean 
um, being attracted to people who have similar gender feelings and understandings as me and folks who have very different gender experiences and understandings. So it feels a lot safer for me to embrace that label nowadays with that shift. Tell me a little bit about not only that label, but the types of misconfusion, misconceptions mm -hmm. or confusions that you're running into when you discuss it with people. Yeah, the default for everyone that I've had conversations with is always like, oh, you're confused. You don't know what you're doing. You're greedy and just want everything. I'm sure you guys have heard this before, too. Um, and that's simply not true. The narrative that we don't know ourselves to know what we want and the fact that we can be attracted to things that are not just this one set idea or this one set narrative that is constantly shoved at us is really challenging for a lot of people to grasp. Hence the narrative of you're greedy, you don't know what you want. And I've gotten, I got that a lot in my early formative, like late teens, early 20s, trying to figure out sexuality and building relationships. And I know those kind of narratives caused me a lot of harm that I'm still actively working to undo in my relationships and in my body nowadays. Um, but yeah, the constant, you don't know what you want, you are using people just to fulfill your fill-in-the-blank sexual needs and fantasies. Um, one day you're going to settle down into a relationship that is very cis-heteronormative. Mm. Like that's the goal for everyone. Now, Paul, I see you nodding your head. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I agree completely uh, with all of those sentiments. I've experienced those conversations. Uh, I've had family members, you know, say, well, you'll you'll find a, a girl eventually and you'll settle down. And yeah, <laughs> and I understand you prefer the term pansexuality over bisexuality. Definitely. Why? Um, well, when I came out, I was I consider myself sexually fluid. Um, and bisexual and growing up, uh, well, at the time I was living in Murfreesboro going to MTSU and, uh, even, you know, prior to my time in El Paso in the queer community or, or really gay community of middle Tennessee and Nashville, there were very much, um, not only aesthetics, but ways of carrying yourself that fit into a, a, uh, white supremacist, uh, and uh, cis, uh, heteronormative, excuse me, <laughs> cis and heteronormative um, landscape. And with being bisexual, I was like, yes, I saw it as a binary, either man or woman, cis preferably. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until, you know, I moved to El Paso where I saw trans people being revered, being respected, being like leaders in the community. I didn't have that in Tennessee prior to 2015 when I moved to El Paso. And uh, it really opened up my mind, the proximity to uh, gender nonconforming and trans people uh, expanded what I thought of as bisexuality. While yes, bi, bi plus is kind of an umbrella term for everyone. Um, pansex pansexual and why I identify as that says to everyone that, yes, I am attracted, I, I have the capacity to be attracted to people uh, of either binary and everything in between. Now, I understand you're also passionate about the ways race connects with sexuality. So how do you feel about bisexuality or pansexuality? How do you feel they're perceived in the black community? Uh, <laughs> Yo, go on a spiel. <laughs> right, we don't have enough time. But, <laughs> but um, Part two it's, tomorrow. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I have varied experiences. Um, 
you know, I love where we're headed. Uh, I'll say that and 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 be positive about the future. Uh, Clarence Edward uh, puts together events uh, at the CE Gallery and Secret Gallery, and I see such a mix of straight, bi, queer, uh, black people all together, all partying, all having a good time. And it's one of the, it, it just gives me hope for the future as far as any divisions in sexuality within the black community and the way that we uh, interact with each other. Do you see it as a little bit of a generational thing? Definitely. There's a mix of that. Uh, I went with a friend of mine and, you know, being in your your early 30s, you're like, oh, I'm not the target demo anymore. Like <laughs> I am I am getting older. And uh, so you see those younger folks. And definitely I think that, you know, the kids are all right. They're doing a great job of being inclusive and including everybody and, and accepting people and having that proximity to people that may be diametrically different from them. Now, some communities have held on to the stigmas when it comes to discussing sexuality. Church communities come to mind. But recently, we've seen some changes in that. You know, Adrian, you recently graduated from Vanderbilt Divinity School. Congratulations. Thank you. Talk to me about how you've seen the culture of the church change. Absolutely. You know, growing up, uh, I, I grew up in a Presbyterian church that was I wasn't hearing messages of hellfire and brimstone, certainly, but I also wasn't hearing a message that queer people and people of all genders and sexualities were seen and loved by God. Um, that was something that I had to learn for myself um, as I grew into into adulthood and came to know more queer people, both in and outside of my faith communities that I found myself in. And I do think that with time, you know, perhaps in the last five to 10 years, there has been a realization and an awakening among more um, progressive church communities that if there are going to be Christians who are speaking loudly a message of exclusion, hatred, conversion, then we have to be just as loud. Um, and I think that especially, you know, we look at what's happening uh, right now in, in the world um, or, or in our context, you know, with a with Christian scripture being used to promote legislation and ways of, of being in culture that are exclusionary and harmful. And so it's on us as people who are Christian um, to like I said, be just as loud in response. As you decided to train to become a pastor and here you're you, what was, what was that process like as you were making that decision? I'm curious. It took a long time. Uh, and really it, it wasn't until I started to come into my own sense of being a bisexual person, a trans person, um, a genderqueer person um, that I was able to also see how I could be a whole person and also work in ministry. I definitely see my calling as to create spaces that are fully inclusive um, and where queer people of all stripes can not just be, but thrive and lead um, and create a world that we can all live in with more liberation um, in a way that is as expansive as possible. And so you know, it, it took it took seeing other people doing that, um, both in the Presbyterian Church uh, and, and outside of it, to realize that there really was possibility that was emerging because it, it took seeing other people doing that to know that it was something that I could do myself. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that more churches and, and people of faith and different denominations are becoming more open? Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it, it's certainly complicated, I think. We look at what's happening, for example, in the United Methodist Church as they're considering, you know, fracturing um, because there are many people that want to have a more inclusive Methodist Church and many people 
who don't. Um, the PCUSA has been uh, officially affirming uh, since uh, you know 2010 was when they passed uh, essentially church rules that would allow LGBT people to be ordained. And then in 2014, uh, they affirmed marriage equality in the denomination. Um, and yet, of course, what it looks like on the ground in different places varies wildly. But I have been really fortunate to find inclusive churches um, back home in Dallas, where I grew up, and also here in Nashville. I serve at a church called Woodland in East Nashville, which, um, you know, right up front and in every service, we affirm uh, that queer and trans people are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking this hour with members of our bisexual and pansexual communities. Aaliyah, you identify as polyamorous yes. along with being bisexual. I wonder how, how, how these identities impact each other. Um, I feel like for me, the impact has allowed me to build a support network that supports me, not just in sexuality ways, but in all ways in my life. Um, and the only challenge that I've experienced with those identities um, existing in this one being is like the stigma that is put on me because mm. they're very similar. The polyam community, what gets put on them a lot is that you don't know what you're doing. You just want to sleep with everyone else. It's very focused on who you take to bed with you. And the same thing for the bisexual community. So me being a black assigned female at birth person, um, there are all of these stories that society has written about me and my body and people who live in my body and bodies that are like mine. Um, and then you add the layer of bisexuality on top of that. And then you add the layer of polyamorous on top of that. And it all just comes down to society writes these stories about us without our consent. And we get to choose how we change those stories. And for me being bisexual and polyamorous has just been, um, beautiful and joyous. And I have experienced a lot specifically from um, the, in my formative years from the lesbian communities of um, the mixture of you don't know what you're doing because you're bisexual. Oh, you're polyamorous too. You really don't know what you're doing. Oh, you have a partner that reads as a cis male. Therefore, I am running the opposite direction because clearly you want to use me for your own devious Blah, blah, blah. That's interesting because we have a society that talks a lot about privacy, but we really seem to be interested in who other people take to bed all the time. Yeah. You know, so I I imagine it's just difficult finding spaces of people who've had similar experiences. Where are you going to find those connections? Um, The Internet. At the moment, I am really excited about some of the new community centers that I heard about in the show that are being built um, as safe spaces for safer spaces for us LGBTQIA plus people. Um, but I don't have like any like set Facebook pages or internet groups that I have found that feel like, okay, I can connect with all of these people. It's been a lot of my fellow gender nonconforming birth workers that I've built relationships with in the internet space that have had very similar relationship woes or um, societal challenges, which is why we got into the reproductive justice work that we do. So people who are having similar experiences, trying to build families in non-normative ways can see that they have supports. 
Now, Paul, you started a by task force at your work, and you are a DEI trainer. What do you hope to teach people who are not by? Like, what do you want them to understand? Uh, awesome. Yes. Um, so uh, I want to clarify a couple of things where I was definitely a founding member of our by, plas- uh, by okay. task force. Um, that credit goes to Bonnie McGuire and Mark Williams. Um, we started that uh, in the height of the pandemic, really. Uh, we attended an out and equal workplace summit. Uh, Robin Oaks, who is a prolific uh, speaker on all things by pan, by plus, um, it was her first time really hearing about the bi identity and how it should be supported. And we should not just be in the back and be reserved. Uh, we do need to be visible as well because there's so many people that are just not self-identifying as bisexual or anything under the bi plus umbrella. Um, I'm sorry. Can you repeat your question? <laughs> you know, like, like, what do you want people who are not bi to gotcha. understand? Gotcha. To understand that, you know, we're not confused. <laughs> we are... Um, open to different experiences and receptive to those experiences. We're not uh, waiting to turn gay or just gay uh, mm-hmm. and we're putting on a front. These are our lived experiences and they deserve to not only be celebrated, but uh, respected and uh, acknowledged. Okay, now we've touched on some of the misconceptions around bisexuality. I thought maybe we can do a rapid fire round <laughs> to bust some of these myths. Y'all ready? Yes. Ready. Okay, yes, that. I love it. Everybody's ready to go. Yeah, um, it's kind of like you guys got in your bi-task force stances. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Okay, so I'll state the myth. I'll ask each of you for an answer, and we'll go. Awesome. Bisexuality means you only like men and women. Adrian. Uh, well, as a non-binary person, obviously, uh, that is a myth that I can just bust with my very existence. For <laughs> generations, bi communities have been trans-inclusive, and even as language shifts, that has always been true. Um, and so grateful to be part of a proud lineage of trans-inclusive bi communities. All right. You can be bisexual if you are in a heterosexual passing relationship. Can you be bisexual if you're in a heterosexual passing relationship? Paul. Yes, absolutely. And I have friends that are in heteronormative marriages or at least appearing heteronormative man, uh, marriages, and they are loud about their bisexuality and they have to be. And I love seeing it every time just so people don't get the wrong idea. <laughs> like, yes, you see me in a straight passing relationship, but that is not the case. I'm looking forward to this answer. Okay. <laughs> Bisexual people are indecisive. No, Aaliyah. absolutely not. We know exactly what we want. And we know how to go get it, which is why we embrace the label of bisexual, because it is so expansive. It can be so expansive. So we like more. We like as much as we like and we like the people that we like. And we're just really open about it or we're not so open about it, depending on how safe our environments are. But that doesn't mean that we don't know what we want. Okay, I want all three of you to answer this one. Bisexual people are promiscuous. Paul. Um, not necessarily. <laughs> Aaliyah. Not because of their bisexuality. Yeah. Adrian. Sometimes, just as some straight and some gay people are promiscuous. Yeah. You know, I want to I want to break down that last one because that feels like the, a very, very dangerous misconception that can lead to assault and abuse. Aaliyah, how do you confront that? Because, again, in our society, people have these misconceptions. They will go out and treat people a certain way based off of these misunderstandings. How do you confront that? Yeah. Promiscuity has nothing to do with the person's sexuality. It has to do with the person and individual themselves. Um, And 
that is what makes it so challenging as a bisexual person because people hear the word bisexual, have their own stories, and then just try to force you to conform to those stories, mm. which is what makes it so dangerous. Because if you don't, because you are your own individual human being with your own thoughts and feelings and stories that, and your truths about yourself, if you don't, if they feel like you don't fit to their stories and you should, they can try to force you, which is where the assault and the danger happens. What about you, Paul? I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? You know, how, how do you confront the potential dangerous aspects of some of these misconceptions? Um, I confront through education. Uh, all of the stuff that we do in the BiPlus task force is to really educate the general population at my at my company about everything you need to know, what those misconceptions are and how bisexual and, and bi-plus people feel when faced with those. So it's really education and proximity and, and visibility. I got about a minute left. Adrian, I understand you think bisexuality is a superpower. Tell me why. Because we have a capacity to understand the world with more multiplicity, complexity, and expansiveness. We understand that moving through the world is not always a simple, you know, one thing or another, but it's it's always many things at once. And I believe that that allows us to embrace all people, um, to, you know, to practice anti-racism, to be trans-inclusive, to create a world of thriving and liberation for all people, because we have this sort of inside look into what it means to be complex and to um, embrace that complexity as our way of being instead of being afraid of it. That's a future pastor, y'all. The congregation you go to is going to be very, very lucky. As Adrian White, pastor in training, they were joined by Dula, Aaliyah Daly, and DEI trainer Paul Briscoe. I want to thank you all for being on the show today. Thank you for this conversation, a great conversation to have Thanks on one's birthday. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you so much, y'all. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll talk about the musicians who played on your favorite album. albums. Yes, we're talking about session musicians. This Is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Paige Flager. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Stephen Baggett and our digital producer this week, Cindy Abrams. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. Thank you.